to fellowship with him a little while. Come on, let's just forget about time and it's Wednesday night. Somebody may not be here. Let's just spend a moment worshiping him as you already have. Let's just lift up his name and his voice. Be heard in this place tonight, God. Our voice be heard in this place tonight. We praise you and we thank you for the multitude of your mercies and your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have tonight. Praise God. Praise God. It's your good to be in the house of God tonight. It's good to see you. I leaned over to Brother Long and I said, you know, I almost called you this afternoon and said, order tacos. We're going to have tacos after church tonight. Uh, you ought to get double honors for being here midweek and spring break. We got a lot of folks that are absent, as you can see, but I'm glad you're here. I certainly hated to miss this weekend, but uh, thank you for your prayers. I will tell you this, live feed is a misconception. Watching online cannot give you the life that you need. And I know some people have to because they're uh, physical issues, but some people have gotten comfortable with online. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing live about it. It feels live in here tonight. Thank you, Brother Clyde for the wonderful worship. I think it ought to be in the house of God that we desire to be every opportunity, every chance. Amen. Why don't you take a moment and just express gratitude to somebody around you. Smile. Tell them you have the Holy Ghost. You hope they do too. And if they don't, they can get it before the night's over. Amen. It's good to be in the, God, in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. It's good to be with God's people. It's good to see you, Sister Sharon, praying for you. Amen. We need a we need a complete victory and healing. Sister Rogers, it's good to see her. You just don't know what some of our people are having to live through right now, and they show up anyway. That's that means faith counts for something. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know. Where a preacher starts and where he ends up sometimes are not always the same place. Where I started today and yesterday uh, and where I ended up today, uh, perhaps some might think that there's, I still have a little anesthesia in my head and I'm not thinking properly, but I don't. I do feel like the Lord has spoken to me. And uh, I want you to turn two passages of Scripture, one in the Old Testament, one in the New. The first one is easy to find. It's Genesis. If you can't find Genesis, we need to have a little talk. Amen. 
Genesis chapter 26. And then we're going to be looking to the book of Romans chapter 4. I'm going to read just a few verses. um, And then I'll let you be seated and then we'll continue our reading. Uh, I know you've been standing. But Genesis chapter 26 says this, verse 1. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. So it simply means that it was happening again. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, but dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and will bless thee, for unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. Verse number three begins with the word sojourn. Modern translations use the word stay. Interesting word we're going to look at in a few moments. Stay in this land and I will be with thee. Not only that, I will bless thee. And I will cause your seed to be multiplied. Then turning to the book of Romans, you can be seated, uh, verse, chapter number four, and um, verse number one, and I am going to be reading from the Passion Translation to begin with, uh, and then we may read from the message, which is not a translation, but more of an interpretation, Uh, but Romans chapter 4, verse number 1 in the Passion Translation said this, let us, let me, I'm sorry, I'm in the second Corinthians chapter 4, I gave the guys the wrong chapter, so I knew when I read that, that wasn't right, it was about Abraham, but we're not going to talk about Abraham, second Corinthians chapter 4, and verse number 1. He said, now it's because of God's mercy that we have been entrusted with the privilege of this new covenant ministry. Very important that you grasp what Paul is saying in the beginning of this chapter. Second Corinthians is a powerful book. Uh, to, to read, it is a book of encouragement. As a matter of fact, the word comfort and encouragement are used multiple times in different tenses, is the verb, is a noun, uh, and it speaks volumes. There's over, there, there's uh, almost 20 references in Second Corinthians of the word comfort or encouragement. And if you know anything about the Corinthian church, you know that it was in a lot of trouble because of its sinfulness, and Paul had to write a letter to address that. 
and then he went to visit them and uh uh, there were there, there were some feelings that he didn't get there soon enough and he didn't come when he said he was going to come and they copped an attitude toward him and so he had to write another letter to him. Uh, but anyway, he, he, he begins this fourth chapter with some profound truth. And he said, now it is because of God's mercy that we have been entrusted with the privilege of this new covenant ministry. You and I have been entrusted by God for ministry in our present circumstances. And then we can skip down. There's a lot of good verses there, but just for the sake of time, I want you to go down to verse number 7. He said, for we are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within so that this immeasurable power will be seen as God's, not ours. Though we experience every kind of pressure, we're not crushed. At times we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. We are persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. We may be knocked down, but not out. What an incredible attitude to take toward the present situation that they were facing in their world. He said, we continually share in the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the resurrection life of Jesus may be revealed through our humanity. Uh, skipping down to verse number 13, he said, We have the same spirit of faith that is described in the scripture when it says, First I believed, then I spoke. Very important principle. First I believed, and then I spoke in faith. So we also first believe, then speak in faith. We do this because we are convinced. Somebody say, I am convinced. I am convinced that he who raised Jesus will raise us with him. Together we will all be brought into his presence. Yes, verse number 15. All things work for your enrichment. So that more of God's marvelous grace will spread to more and more people, resulting in an even greater increase of praise to God, bringing Him even more glory. Verse number 16, again, remember that He made a statement in verse number 1. That because of the ministry that we have been given, we do not faint. We will not quit. We will not cave in to the pressures that we are living in. And neither will we get weary with what we are having to face. And so again, in verse number 16, he said, So no wonder we don't give up. Look at your neighbor and say, I will not give up. I will not give up. 
For even though our outer person gradually wears out, our inner being is renewed every single day. Verse 17, another principle. We view our slight, short-lived troubles in the light of eternity. Now, most people don't view trouble in that perspective. But Paul had learned something in living for God that your perspective matters. That how you view life is going to determine your attitude toward living. And if you have the wrong perspective, You'll be throwing in the towel. You'll be quitting. You'll be giving it up. Why? Because the pressure is too great. The struggles are too hard. The day is too dark. There's too much going on around us that's wrong. How could anything be right? He said, but we don't focus on that. We focus our attention on what, on not what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but the unseen realm is eternal. I think that will do for right now. I hope God will help me tonight and I don't mess this up too bad. It's good to have the doctor in the house. He can fix it if I do. Amen. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight about hard times. Great truths. Hard times, great truths. Maybe it could be subtitled, Courage in the Midst of Conflict. Or perhaps even more telling would be the temptation of the temporary. The temptation of the temporary. I have good news for you tonight. And that is you have a purpose to live. You have a reason to live. Amen. That no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what you're enduring, no matter what you're facing, God has given you and I a ministry for this hour. He has called us to the kingdom for such a time as this. What is our ministry? More important, what is our ministry opportunity? And I pray that tonight you will discover some of those things and I will admit to you right now, I'm not going to finish tonight. So you just might as well get ready for that. I'm not going to keep you till 10 o'clock. I may keep you till 11 because I didn't get to preach this weekend. But tell you what, Brother Long did such an amazing job this weekend. I don't even know if I need to come back Sunday. Amen. Great, great messages, both services, and I did sense the presence of the Lord. But Paul highlighted an opportunity in the midst of the opposition that they were facing. And we have that same opportunity in the hour in which we live. I don't think anybody in this place would deny that we are living in hard times. I have never paid $4.89 for gasoline in my life. I have never paid $5 and something for a gallon of milk. 
I have never, as and, and Brother Law mentioned this to me earlier, that they made the, 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 the statement was made recently about what we're enduring, that you can expect that the average grocery bill of the average home will be over $1,000 a month. Now, I've lived long enough to know that $1,000 would have fed a family for a year in times past, at least for a few months. But now when you go to the store, you buy two bags full and it's $150 and you stagger out, you know, wondering what's going to happen next. Then you pull up to the pump and you get the double whammy. But we live in hard times. There is no doubt about it. There is no question that these are difficult times. But Paul said that you and I have a ministry opportunity in the midst of the hardest of times, in the most difficult of circumstances. And that ministry is that we could learn how to become an encourager of others. God has not preserved the church for this hour for us to flounder around as if we don't know what we're doing. This is the hour for the church to really flourish and shine. And when you realize that in the midst of your trouble and in the midst of hard and difficult times, you have a ministry opportunity that in itself will help stop you from being a quitter. It will help stop you from throwing in the towel and saying, I can't do this, I'm tired of this, I'm ready to go to the mountains and hide. Go to the mountains and hide, but you're not going to run away from trouble because it is a part of life. Did God entrust this ministry to us in this hour for us to fail? I dare say not. God has given us a work to do. And God has given us an opportunity to display His grace and His glory amid the most severe tests and trials and troubles that we can face in life. And in this hour in which we live, it is important that we not lose heart. That we display God's grace and His greatness in the midst of even our grief. God wants us to show the world how to live by faith. More importantly, God wants you and I to show the world how a life of faith can empower you in the midst of the greatest trouble. Do not discount the value and the power of your faith. I believe part of what Paul may have even been alluding to when he said, do not be weary in well-doing. One translation of that said, don't get tired of living by faith. Don't get weary in the confusion of the moment and the turmoil of the day because God has given you an opportunity and He wants you and I to show the world not just our faith, but how to live a life of faith in the face of fear 
and dearth and death and destruction that you and I have the opportunity of living a life of faith before people that will help them keep heart. Amen. Paul said, do not lose heart. Don't become discouraged. The word translated from the original has three meanings. Spiritless, disappointed, or afraid. God said, don't let either one of those things happen to you. Don't become spiritless. And I will tell you that if you live as I do in this hour, it's hard to not get the spirit knocked out of you in the world in which we live. And yet Paul said, don't let that happen. Make sure you do not Come to the place that you are spiritless, you are listless, you have no desire to go on, you have no desire to live, you have no desire to showcase the mercies of God. Don't let that happen to you. And don't become disappointed because life will disillusion you. Some of you never intended to lose some of the things that you've already lost in life. We thought we'd have them forever, but we've learned to live without a lot of things. We've learned to live without family members and spouses and possessions and all kind of things. But we must continue to live as long as God gives us breath and we have that opportunity to do so. So he said, do not allow life to bring you to this place of disappointment. And people will disappoint you, but don't let that happen. Then he said, don't let life make you afraid. I think one of the greatest enemies of the hour in which we live is the fear factor that we live with every day. And Paul said, don't live afraid. There are plenty of reasons for the world to despair, but not you. You have every reason to live. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, if you don't believe that, we need to go back to step one, number one and start over because that is a truth that you can stake your life on. And my life is not going to be defined by what's around me. My life must be defined by what is within me. Get your eyes off, and I know God's talked to us a lot about that lately, getting our eyes off of these things around us, because if that's all you read is the news feed, you're going to be hanging yourself tomorrow morning. I I, I don't mean that literally, but I mean you're going to feel like there's no hope, and then you bring that atmosphere into life, or you bring that attitude into the church, and you come in despondent, we ought to come in here rejoicing every day that we're here. We're here for this hour. We're here for this opportunity. And we're going to do the best with what God has given us the opportunity to do. Amen. So God wants you and I to display uh, this ministry that he has given us. And not let life define us by what's happening around us, but what is in us. The word Fainting is used in this passage of scripture in Romans 4, or 2 Corinthians 4. He said, when you stop worrying, or will you stop worrying about what you don't have, 
and start rejoicing in what you do have? Amen. Don't be weary. Don't faint. And when you find yourself in discouraging and depressing and desperate times, don't give up. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not time to quit. Amen. It's time to go on. So what is the secret of this victory and joy and peace and stability when you're experiencing these pressures and trials and troubles? I believe that Paul said it best in verse number 17 of that second book of Corinthians chapter 4 that the things which are endured and understood give us an advantage for the season in which we are living. They are helping us gain. I got to studying that wording that Paul used today and it, it, it indicates that what you're going through, what you're facing and what God has put in you and what God has given you to preserve you is actually training you and it's teaching you and it's giving you information and it's giving you signals and cues. And through them, it will help you respond to it with the proper attitude and the proper actions. So let's go to Genesis 26 for a moment. Isaac is one of those characters in Scripture that uh, is kind of an also-ran. Abraham, Jacob, prominent, powerful figures of Scripture, but Isaac is that man that's in between, and there's nothing really outstanding about his life except the fact that he had to endure some things that his father endured. Famine, like in the days of Abraham. Calamities have a way of dislodging us and disorienting us and discouraging us and superseding, if we allow them to, the knowledge that we should have in our hearts. So how we view what is happening around us is so very important. While it is true that a crisis helps to make a person It is also true that a crisis helps reveal what is in the person, what that person is made of. How we handle the difficulties of life will depend on what the difficulties find in us. And that's what crisis was about to do in Isaac's life. It was a famine, a famine, a dearth, a lack. Uh, it was going to be a season where there was going to be a difficult time getting the things that you needed to survive. And we are living in those times. So what, what, what are you supposed to do? I believe one of the things God was trying to get through to, uh, Isaac is what I mentioned earlier. Don't allow what is happening around you to rob you or define you or defeat you because you cannot change your circumstances, but I can sure control the attitude and the outlook and the actions of my personal life so that I face them in the spirit of faith and not fear. Amen. Calamities have a way of clouding our view. And they have a way of confusing the mind and overshadowing 
the opportunity and disturbing our peace and distracting us from what God has purposed in our life. Don't, listen to me, don't give life to your troubles because of a wrong view of your troubles. I don't think some of you got that yet. But we are speaking life into a lot of troubles in our life because we are giving it more precedent and more power over us than it ought to have in our life. And I think God was trying to teach Isaac and Paul was trying to educate the New Testament church that you cannot give trouble life in itself. You cannot speak life into your trouble. Don't give life to troubles because you have the wrong view of life. Sometimes you and I literally resuscitate troubles when it was about to die because of the way we talk about it. How do you see your difficulties will determine how you talk about your difficulties. And when we give trouble the wrong place in our life, we begin to interpret life through the through the wrong lens. We begin to interpret life through the wrong lens. I'm hurrying. We must stop, listen to me, stop focusing our attention on what is seen so that we forget what has been said. I want to say that again. You and I have got to stop focusing our attention on the scene and we forget what he has said. And circumstances have a way of attracting your attention and drawing your mind into their web and convincing you there's no way out of this. I don't know how you're going to survive this. I don't know how you're going to make it through this. I don't think you can bear this. I don't think you can go through any more trouble than you've already been through. And the truth is, you can clap your hands if you want to, but the truth is, when you give trouble the wrong place in your life, you start viewing those troubles through the wrong lens. And he was saying to Isaac in the midst of famine, Hey, Isaac, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't start responding to this famine like the world is responding. The world's looking for Egypt. The world's looking for an easy solution. The world's looking for a quick way out of this peril and trouble. He said, I don't want you going to Egypt. I want you staying right here in Gerar. I want you to stay here. And if you stay here, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to multiply you and I'm going to be with you. Man, we must stop focusing our attention on what is seen and then forget what has been said. God has promised that he will go with you even to the ends of the earth. I will never leave you nor forsake you in 
The Greek, it is a compound word that means I will never, 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 never leave you nor forsake you. Five is the number of grace. God said, I've got this covered. I'm just telling you that no matter what you're going through, I've got enough grace to give you the glory to get through it. And I've got enough power to keep you in the midst of it. Amen. Amen. So what has God promised? Well, that's he had to stop Isaac and remind Isaac of who he was. He had to stop and remind Isaac of what he had already promised to his father Abraham that was going to be passed down to his seed and the, 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 the remaining seed. That he had to stop him in this moment of confusion and remind him because At that moment, Isaac was looking at the scene and he had forgotten what had been said. I wonder how many of us have forgotten what God promised us a long time ago because we're so caught up in what we're going through right now. And today's troubles and today's problems have blinded us to what God has already spoken in our life. I wonder, is there anybody here tonight that's got some promises that God made you that have not been yet fulfilled, but you're holding on to them that God's going to fulfill those promises? Don't ever let go of what God said because what God said is going to come to pass. And if we're not careful, we can allow the temporary moments of life that we are living through to rob us of what God has said about our life. Amen. Verse number three, God uses a word stay. I mentioned this, it's sojourn in the, in the King James Version, but in the literal translation, it is the word stay. And the word stay that is used there means to live temporarily without ownership of the land. God said, Isaac, you're going to have to live in a temporary place for a while. Don't make it a permanent place. Amen. Life is always trying to trap us in the temporary. And some of us right now, some of you right now, are going through some things in your life that are affecting you in so many different ways and on so many different levels that your eyes are crossed. You don't even know if it's Wednesday or Thursday right now because you have been through so much and life has a way of doing that to you. But let me tell you something. Where you are right now is just a temporary place. It is not a permanent place for you to dwell in. And God sent me tonight to tell you that don't make something permanent that God intended for you to be just a temporary passage. What is going on in your life tonight that is robbing you of peace and rest and joy and contentment that's really only a temporary issue? It's a seasonal thing. It's going to pass. It's going to go away. Don't make permanent decisions in temporary settings. What is temporary needs to remain temporary. And this is what God was trying to help Isaac 
And what Paul was trying to help the New Testament church understand is that what you're going through is temporary. Paul even uses the word, it's temporal. It's just passing, it's fleeting. Make sure that you understand that because if you lose sight of that, you're going to cave in under the pressure. There are vital things not to be forgotten when we're in a temporary place. Isaac was about to forget who he was. And some of us in the midst of our troubles are forgetting, I'm a child of God. I am a child of the King. God has made promises to me. And this is what the Lord spoke to me today. He said, don't base your peace on what is happening around you and to you and forget what is in you and who is for you and who you are. Don't base your peace on these temporary circumstances. Amen. Somebody say it's temporary. It's not going to last. It's not going to last. It will come to pass. It will pass. Amen. The season that we're living in will pass. And I don't want my peace or my joy, or my happiness, or my contentment to be based on something temporary and it's going to change in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. We forget what God has done in the past. I mean, God had to take Isaac through this educational program. He said, hey, let me remind you of what I did to Abraham, your father. Let me remind you of what I've done in the past. And when we get lost in a temporary moment, we forget what God's already done for us. Hey, I got news for you. Are you listening to me right now? I'm fixing to let you go. If the devil could have killed you, he would have killed you a long time ago. If the devil had the power to stop you, he would have stopped you a long time ago. The only power that he has is in his tongue. But you have the power to keep going. You have the power to keep walking. And when you keep walking, you will overcome the power that's in his tongue. Oh, yes. I'm hurrying. What you know matters. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, what you know matters. Because life will cast doubt on you because of your present suffering. Well, if you were really in the will of God, if you were really living for, if you were really God's chosen, you wouldn't be suffering like you're suffering right now. You wouldn't be hurting. You wouldn't be in these hard times. And so if we're not careful, we can allow life to cast doubt on us because of our present circumstances. Don't let life cast a doubt on what God has already done in your life and what he is still yet to do in your life. Hey, if he can keep you through what you've already been through, he can keep you through what you're going through right now. Amen. Somebody ought to clap your hands and say amen. 
here's another vital principle that I think God was trying to speak to Isaac. And I know that Paul was trying to speak to the Corinthian church. Romans chapter 4 verse 13. He said, first believe. He said, I first believed and then I spoke. It's important. God has ordered. And order is so important in what God does. And God works by a sense of order. There are things that when you get out of order will cause confusion and chaos. He is not the God of confusion. He's a God of order. And so God has these ways of saying things. I love the book of Acts and I preached about this several years ago. But in the book of Acts, they came to a time when a decision had to be made. And so they prayed. That's a great thing to do when you need to make a decision. Especially a life-changing decision or a decision that will have to do with your future. They prayed. And the Bible said, and as it seemed good to us... And the Holy Ghost. No, 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 no. I'm not trying to trick you, but I did lead you into a trap. It says, it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. And God spoke to me when I read that scripture. And he said, don't you ever mess up that order. Because if you mess that up, you're going to project some things onto me and say, because I feel like it's a good thing, God must be approving of it. God said, you better seek me first. You better find out what I've got to say about that. You got to f- better find out what I'm thinking about. You better find out what my words already said about that. Because your feelings are fickle and they will lie to you and tell you God's okay with that. I feel good about it. God, uh, God wouldn't let me feel good about something that was bad for me. And the trouble with some people and people in our own church right now is that your life is in turmoil because you are interpreting life through your lens. You're seeing God, but you're seeing Him on the back of trouble. You're seeing your trouble and then you're seeing God. I don't know exactly how to say this, how to give you the mental picture. What you need to do is turn that picture and see God and then your trouble. Because when you see God and then your trouble, you will know that I am more than a conqueror, that there's nothing that can defeat me. I can face this. I can overcome this. It is important that you believe something first before you start rattling off your tongue. Let what you say, listen to me, let what you say be influenced by faith, not by fear. And when you allow that to be turned and reversed and you speak because you believe, that's not going to work. Because somewhere along the line of life, something's going to knock the soup out of you and put you on your knees You better make sure that you keep the order right. First, believe. First, believe it. And then you can speak it confidently. And the reason some of us have lost our spiritual voice is because we have lost our faith. We have forgotten how important faith is to our life. Sometimes the only thing that has kept me going is the faith that God called me and God ordered me to hear and God brought me to this hour and that's the only thing that has sustained me. It wasn't my feelings 
because my feelings kept telling me, you need to quit. You're too old for this. You need to stop. You're just a dinosaur. You're outdated. You're old school. You're whatever. You're broken down. And that's what your body will tell you. That's what your mind will tell you. And that's what the circumstances around your life will tell you. But you hear me tonight. When you first believe, there is nothing that can stand before you. When you know that God has called you for this hour and He has empowered you for this moment, you can face anything. You can face anything. So often our conversation is depressed. By the hard times we're living through. I'm hurrying. We need a spirit of faith to face the spirit of fear in these troubled times. Your faith matters. Remember this, and I'm closing. You can stand. In, Rome, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul makes a statement about who they were and what they had. He said it like this. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you know what, you're a cracked pot. I've been wanting to tell you that all night. Oh, some of you don't have the courage to say that. Yeah, you're not a cracked pot, you're a cracked pot. Did you get that? You're not a cracked pot, you're a cracked pot. You are an earthen vessel. Why? Would God put that treasure in a flawed, frail, cracked, faulty life? So that the excellency may be of God and not of us. So that when we look around, we realize the only reason I'm still here is because of God. Woo! Hallelujah. Oh yeah, some of you just don't remember, but there was a moment in your life you didn't know whether you were going to make it or not, but the reason you made it is because God, God is the one that kept you in that. And you need to remember, listen to me, it's the treasure in the vessel, not the vessel that matters. So here's what I need to tell some of you. Stop complaining of your handicap. Stop complaining of your limitation. Stop complaining of your lack of gifts or lack of talent. And that's the reason that I'm not involved and I don't do any more around the church. Because when we talk like that, we're making it about the vessel. And Paul said, no, 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 no. If you're going to get through these hard times, you're going to have to understand that it's not about the vessel. It's about the gift in the vessel that enables the vessel to do what it does. And the reason I'm here tonight isn't because I'm the smartest or wisest or whatever else. I'm here because God put his hand upon me and he called me to do what I'm doing right now. Praise God. Oh, yes. You're not a weak vessel. You're not a limited. You're not a a person with no abilities. You have a treasure. And though it is housed in a frail and fragile vessel, God said, I can do things with that that nobody else can. 
We are vessels to be used of God. And we are earthen. And God had to remind Isaac, hey, this doesn't have anything to do with you, Isaac. This has to do with me. I'm the one that put my name on the line. I'm the one that promised your father Abraham. This is about me keeping my word. And God's going to keep his word. Amen. I'm talking about hard times and great truths. It's important that you and I look around us and realize that there's more for us than there is against us. Amen. Amen. We need to wake up every day and read the word of God and embrace it and say, God, I'm going to live every word. I'm going to live every promise. I'm going to let those promises govern my attitude today and my actions. I'm not going to look for Egypt to go hide in until the storm passes over. I'm going to stay right here. And I don't have time. I'll go into it next week. But you need to read chapter 26 of Genesis and see what all God did for Isaac in that land where famine was. There was no famine in Egypt. He could have found plenty. But God said, hey, I got news for you. I can give you plenty even in the midst of famine. And I believe that's what God's doing for his children right now. He's proving to you that even though the economy may be upside down, you're going to make it. Well, I'm going to make it. We're going to get through this. Amen. God's going to make a way. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how it's going to come to pass, but God's going to keep his word. Amen. Good news for hard times. Amen. I'm glad I know the word of God. Praise God. Amen. Keep your eyes on him and get them off of yourself. Amen. Get them off of your troubles. Get them off of your issues, problems, all that. Just get your eyes back on him. It'll make a big difference in your life. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time for you to get up and finish what God has started in you. Amen. Praise God.